into the sermon. We've been talking through the Sermon on the Mount and taking our time looking at it verse by verse. And we're nearing the end, only about probably four more sessions after this one. Jesus, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, is, is sharing his vision statement for the kingdom of God, the kingdom that he came to establish. And it's what he expects of his disciples. So those who follow after him, you know, he'd come to the disciples and he'd say, follow me. <coughs> Excuse me. And th- so this is what he expects of those who choose to follow him. Uh, he's teaching on a kingdom lifestyle that distinguishes us as his disciples. So it's characteristics, especially in this section of the sermon, uh, characteristics that distinguish us as his followers. And so some of the things that we've looked at over the last uh, few weeks is that we're not to be materialistic or greedy, but rather generous and heavenly minded. We also looked at that we're not to worry. Jesus said, do not worry. Don't be anxious. But rather, we're to be in a trusting relationship with our heavenly Father. And then uh, also... It was last week we talked about not judging. Do not judge. Don't be judgmental. But rather live in holy community. Today, we're going to be talking about uh, the persistence. He changes the topic. He says, now uh, we are t- the characteristics that we're going to look at today is, is persistence. And so we'll read it from Matthew 7, uh, verses uh, 7 through 12. Ah. There we go. Glory, glory be to God. I'm talking like a Pentecostal preacher. Praise God. <laughs> Ask and it will be given to you. <laughs> Seek and you will find. See, I can do that. I could be a Southern Baptist preacher. <laughs> Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asked for bread, would give him a stone? Or if, it asked, or if he asked for a fish, would give him a serpent? If you, then, being evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. So that's the section of the sermon that we're going to kind of delve into and go through verse by verse. I like how the New Living Translation puts uh, the verses 7 particularly. It translates it this way. Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. Everyone who knocks, the door will be open. So the the words that Jesus chose to use uh, when he says ask, seek, and knock were uh, Greek words that were all present tense imperatives. Okay? It's an English lesson. Present tense imperatives, which indicates continuous, persistent prayer. Present tense. Uh, It's not not like when you asked, or if you ask in the future. Jesus is saying, ask, seek, knock. We live, hopefully, how many are living in the present tense? I love it when a third of the people put up their hand. So, does that mean you're living in the past tense? You were here? <laughs> or are you in the future tense? You will be here. You're not quite here yet. Your body's here. <laughs> but you're, 
having lunch at the diner at the end of the universe. <laughs> what was the name of it? Etherbees, Etherbees, Etherbees. How many know the diner at the end of the universe? What's the name of it? Ah. Uh, okay, that's an inside joke. Sorry, I'm not supposed to do inside jokes from Paul, but forgive me. <coughs> so, uh, present tense, and it means continuous persistence in our prayer, in our request. Continuous, something that we just don't stop. Um, um, and let's look into this a little deeper. The word ask means, it means of course to ask, but it's a strong word. It's not a weak word. It means to, to beg, to call for. And I like to crave. You know? It's the difference between asking for something and craving something. To desire. To require. Actually to require. To seek is another strong word. It means to seek in order to find out. I mean, it's intentionally. You're looking, expecting to discover what you're seeking. And then the definition gives some ways that we can seek by thinking, meditating, reasoning. You know, God give. You have a brain in your head, right? God designed that. It's a mystery. Scientists are still trying to figure out. He's given you the ability to think, so to to reason and to inquire. That means to ask. That uh, all of this is that it's it's actively looking for, to aim for, to strive after. Again, to crave, to demand. So these are strong words. And then finally, to knock, to take action, to to pound uh, on the door, as it were, uh, figuratively. So all of these. are uh, words that are to Jesus is, is using to describe what we, uh, uh, how we are to behave. And so, you know, if I wanted a donut, how many would like a donut? How many like donuts? You know, you know I could say, hey, honey, if you like to be at home, hey, Kathy, uh, could you bring me a donut? That's asking, you know. And, you know, she's not going to bring me a donut. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she, oh, good, I'll call you. <laughs> she might bring me some carrots. <laughs> you know, but if I got to the place where I was craving a donut, I might actually get up off the couch and go seeking a donut. I can't see So I could, I'd look in the cupboard and I'd go in the refrigerator and I'd go back and look in the cupboard again to see if anything changed from the last time I looked in the cupboard. I didn't know donuts. I look in the fridge. Maybe I missed something. <clears throat> and if I really was hungry, really craving, I started to demand, you know what? By golly, I'm going to take action. I get in the car and I go to McKenzie's Bakery. <laughs> I said I'd go to Sweetwater's for a donut. But I go to McKenzie's for bread. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so this is a powerful uh, combination. Jesus gives us a powerful combination of both a command and a promise. All right. The command is that we are not to give up, but rather ramp up our requests. Don't give up, ramp up. Because there's a progression here. Again, remember, part of the study is learning Bible study tips. And so look for progressions when you're reading through Scripture. Ask, seek, knock is a progression. Uh, just like I described, it's a progression. And so we're to ramp up our request. And the promise is that we will receive. We're going to receive. Uh, and... Uh, uh, that's something we can trust God. Seeking is more excess, uh, excessive, aggressive than merely asking, and knocking is getting physical about it. So Jesus <clears throat> is definitely talking about prayer, and normally this verse is 
taught and understood in the context of prayer. But I just want to call attention to you. He doesn't say when you pray, ask, and it will be given to you, seek and you shall find. Does he? In fact, he already talked about prayer in the Sermon on the Mount uh, a little bit earlier. And remember, this is one sermon. He's, 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 he's talking to a group of people. Uh, <clears throat> so the question is, I think it applies to prayer. It's not inappropriate because it does say when you ask of your Father, He'll give it. So he's talking about petitions and requesting things from the Father. But um, I challenge you to <clears throat> think for a minute and look at it in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, in the, in the context that it's given. Remember, um, Jesus is, is doing the whole sermon and often we take a couple of verses and we... And we Take them up out of their context. And it's appropriate to understand particular verses, but the, you need to also understand that verse in its original context. And this has, has a context. It, he, was, he was in a, a message. He was giving a, a, a sermon, a discourse. <clears throat> and so there's a progression of thoughts. <laughs> you know, he wasn't just rambling. Yeah. Like sometimes I do. He was actually having prayer. So, in the progression of thoughts, <clears throat> the question is, what is Jesus referring to when He says, ask and it will be given to you? What's the it? Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Yeah. So, you're right on there. I looked, and I looked up in the original in between services. I was, is the word door? Because a lot of translations put knock and the door will be opened. But the word door isn't in there in the original. It just knock and it will be open. And the word for open can be translated break. Oh. Boom! Knock and it will break. Or break open. Shoo. Need something to change in your life? You know, and I think <clears throat> I think that it is the greater righteousness, the kingdom. But it's it's what he's been talking about. It's, Jesus is leading up. We're nearing the c- conclusion, actually, the, uh, in this part, as the climax of this of the message of the sermon. But he's talking about the greater righteousness that the whole sermon has he's been expounding upon. As he's leading is uh, is a, 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 a talk with a, a, a overall theme, and this is this is ties into that overall theme. It's all of the, the it is all of the kingdom characteristics, not merely. Uh, the kingdom characteristics are not merely requirements that we have to live up to. Things like don't worry, <clears throat> don't be judgmental, all right? Not materialistic and not greedy. We can't hear Jesus' words and think that He's just giving us a new Ten Commandments yeah. or a new list of rules and regulations. Like this list replaced the other list. That's not it. Please don't hear it that way. He's telling us how to live the fulfillment of what God has always required. And it's not just a list. Uh, <clears throat> rather, they're the fruit, all of these things that Jesus has been talking about through the whole Sermon on the Mount, including this idea of persistence, is the fruit of the kingdom of God in us. Amen. The kingdom of God says, will be within you or within your reach. It's the evidence of being a son or a daughter. Alright? It's the evidence. You have the... Boy, you look like your dad. <laughs> you know, you ever say that about kids? Boy, he looks just like you. That's evidence. Why? Because you look... Boy, you look like Jesus. 
Yeah. You know, not physically, but you, you, have, you, you act like Jesus. You sound like Jesus. You talk like Jesus. You walk like Jesus. Wow. And so, <clears throat> it's living out your DNA. And that's something that's transmitted. It's not something that's just a behavior that's learned. Alright? It's living out your true nature, your true character. And Peter talks about this. I'm going to read from Second uh, Peter chapter 1. This, this was written <clears throat> after, you know, I don't know how old Peter was at this time, but I believe he was old, uh, later in life. <clears throat> and it's the same Peter that walked with Jesus, you know. The same disciple that would uh, consistently open his mouth and stick his foot directly into it. <laughs> and uh, uh, the bold one, the one that was willing to get out of the boat and walk on the water, even though he sank. But the rest of the disciples, you know, uh, stayed in the boat. Uh, the one that denied Jesus, but then repented and had his relationship restored. And so later in life, uh, this is years later, and there's churches now, uh, both in Jerusalem, actually all through the uh, Palestine area, up into Asia. Probably by the time he wrote this, there were already churches established in, in Europe. And he's writing this letter that's sent out and still read as we're reading it today. <clears throat> so it's his instructions. A, a person who knew Jesus personally, this is what he says. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Think about that. Everything that pertains to life and godliness has been given. <clears throat> what if I, how many would like to have $100,000? Come on. Okay. okay. <clears throat> the people without the hands up, you just, you're not going to get it. <laughs> yeah, I got it right here, man. No. <laughs> yeah. right. So it'd be great to want a hundred thousand dollars. But wonder if you found out you had already been given a hundred thousand dollars. Like it was in an account with your name on it. Would that change how you felt? A few years ago. I don't think I've ever shared this publicly. I'm going to share something no one's you've never heard before. Um, I've shared it privately, but we uh, I had to raise a significant amount of money uh, for a mission trip. Uh, it was uh, over ten thousand dollars, and um, it was a big step of faith for me to do this. And uh, about a month into the fundraiser, and many of you gave, uh, so that's why I was I wasn't going to share this. So. Um, but uh, someone. Uh, Gave the church a blank check, wow. anonymously. Didn't give it to me, and said, uh, "Whatever's needed at the end of the fundraiser, just write in the amount." Whoa. So we had a blank check in the safe. Now, I felt God say, "Just keep that secret. Don't don't tell it. That, that doesn't change anything, because we're going to believe God to raise the money." You know. And, but my attitude completely changed. We still announced, hey, we're doing a fundraiser. We need to raise, uh, I think it was eleven dollars $12,000. And we're believing God for it. But my, in my inside, I, I was like, the check's, in the, the check's in the safe. And so I just had this, it's cool. You know, I, it changed my heart. Because I still had the need, but I, it was provided. I knew it was already there. And you know what? We raised the entire amount and more. Wow. And we were able to give the check back. Wow. <laughs> Boom! Bada bing! That made me so happy when we gave the check back. Say thanks. 
God provided. You know, but what it changed, and then I, I, I remember that. I tell myself this often, the check's already in the safe. Yeah. And what that means is God's already given it to me. Yeah. Now, it's easy to understand that in the context of a, a material thing, but remember what Jesus is talking about, what the Bible's talking about here, includes material things, but specifically about life and godliness, His nature, His character, all of the things of the kingdom. They've already been given. If you're struggling with any area in your life that you feel is deficient, it's already in the safe. It's already in the bank. It's already given. Through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is, through the, uh, that is in the world through uh, lust. And so it goes on, he says, he's already, it's already been given to us uh, through the knowledge, by knowing Him, coming into relationship. That word knowledge in the Bible is almost always relational, experiential knowledge through relationship with Him, who called us by glory and virtue, um, and He's given us exceeding great and precious promises. That's the Scripture, His Word. So through His Word, we have access. It says that we may be partakers. Uh, and partake means to take part. Right? You know, when we partake of communion, we actually take the bread and eat it. And so we can partake, we can ingest His divine nature, the characteristic of Christ, to be Christ-like. It's not something you strive and learn how to obey. It's something you, it's who you are. You put off what the Bible says in one place. We put off the old. Alright? Uh, because we're new creations in Christ. It's living who we are. It's living according to what has been given, imparted through the knowledge of Him. Okay, must move on. It says, And what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, uh, how much more will your Father who is in heaven... Uh, give good things who, uh, to those who ask. So Jesus follows his main point as he has been throughout the sermon with some illustrations. So this is an illustration of the point that he just made. And he's challenging us to think of God in terms that are relatable or understandable. And he refers to uh, parenting. A parenting example, no parent would give their kid a stone if he was hungry for bread. You know, hey, Dad, can I have some bread? You know, there's a loaf of bread and a big rock. You know, have some bread. Here, have a stone. <clears throat> you know, that's ridiculous. You know, if your little baby's hungry and you want some fish and you give him a serpent and it bites him, that's ridiculous. It's silly. And so, he's saying, if that's silly in human terms, uh, it's equally silly that God would give us something harmful when we present our request to Him. But listen, Jesus is talking to real people that struggle with real issues, and we struggle with real issues. And so this is something that we need to, we need to really allow to sink into our, the way we think about God. God gives good things, right? All right? And if for some reason you haven't received that good thing that you've been seeking or asking for or requesting, don't give up and don't judge God as being evil as though he gave you something bad, like he's some bait-and-switch salesman. Now, most people would say, I wouldn't do that. I would never do that. But you know what? In reality, we all do that. We all struggle with it. Because if we've been praying for something, at a certain point we get discouraged, we finally say, well, maybe God just doesn't intend for me to get healed. 
You know, maybe God's given... I've heard people say, God's given me this sickness. Listen, sickness is just, you know, a precursor to death, right? God doesn't deal out death. Amen. Jesus came to give us life and life more. He took, on His cross, He took our sin, but He also took our, our, our infirmity as well as our iniquity. It says that in Scripture. He took it. Amen. Right? <clears throat> and so God doesn't give sickness. But people, the reason we turn, or anything, well, God's given me this depression. What? No, He hasn't. God doesn't give, uh, uh, you're in a situation, and, and often, it, it, it's, a, it's a religious thing. It's actually religious. It, the, it comes in, it sounds like you're being religious. Uh, it's kind of like in the, in the olden days, there were, there were monks that would whip themselves, thinking that that was a, a way to, discipline their body you know but that's not that's just a twisting it's not a good thing uh and and it's very it's a very subtle thing to to slip into thinking that uh because god hasn't answered a rare or we haven't seen the good thing come is to turn and actually subtly judge god rather than being persistent don't give up ramp up the request believe god okay I have sickness. I don't believe this was from God. Jesus died for my healing. If I haven't received the healing yet, I'm going to keep believing. Amen. And listen, this is the truth. This is the bottom line. Even if I die with my sickness, I'm going to be healed. Right. Yeah. I'm going to be raised up with a body indestructible. Guaranteed. All right? When I get resurrected, my body's not going to have any sickness. My knees aren't going to hurt when I get up in the morning or late at night after I've had a hard day at work. You know, <clears throat> my hair isn't going to be uh, gone from the middle of my head. <laughs> All right, I'm not going to struggle with it. I'm going to have a perfect body. So, you know, whatever happens in the temporary realm here, I know for certain I'm going to be healed of resurrection. And I believe that we can reach into that and tap into that healing in our day. That's why I believe for healing now. All right? And so, even if I don't receive healing, I'm not going to say that that sickness is from God. I'm going to say, I'm just waiting for my answer, even if it means waiting through death. Are you hearing me? Okay. So, we don't judge God and say, God's giving me this sickness. That's crazy. All right. God can use things. <clears throat> he uses everything for good. Uh, uh, Jesus goes on and says, if you being evil, Jesus isn't ashamed to address mankind as essentially at our root evil. He doesn't shy away from speaking the truth that we're broken. But he says, in this comparison, even in our corrupt state, we know how to give good gifts to kids. Certainly God knows how to give uh, good things to his kids. And the key phrase here is your heaven, your father in heaven that he's used again and again throughout the sermon, that we have a Father in heaven. And so the uh, assurance that we have is this relationship with a heavenly Father. You know, it all comes back to being in right relationship, understanding God for who He really is, and understanding how He wants to relate with us. That His desire is to give us good things. And, and when we're seeking, when we're asking, when we're waiting... When we're persevering, there's no, we need to understand that there's no reluctance on His part. Okay? Uh, when we're seeking, there's not a reluctance. Don't think of God as being reluctant. Persistence in prayer is for our sake, not to manipulate or convince God. 
All right? It changes us. It's not like you have to keep praying until you get the prayer just right and then God will do something. But you know what? That's what we think. Even as Christians, even if we have a genuine faith, you get in this trap. Oh, I pray it hard enough. You know, why does it happen? I gotta pray longer. And maybe you do have to pray longer, but it's not to manipulate God. Now, I was in, I don't know if I said this at service, I'm getting lost if I said this, but, you know, when I was, I remember once I was in the, I was praying for something and I was in the parking lot. It was actually Montgomery Ward. I remember, that's how old I am. I used to work there. <laughs> and, uh, I was really praying for something. And I've been praying for a long time. And I was in the car. I was like, God, God. And I felt a rebuke from the Father. He said, don't beg. Just, it was like, like that. Don't beg. And I realized that I wasn't approaching him as a father that loved me, that I wasn't making my request known as a son, but I was like a, a beggar on the street rattling a can that if I make the noise loud enough, maybe he'd notice. And that's not how, you, not how you relate. We need to be persistent in prayer, but we need to be persistent understanding that we're, we're communicating with the father. And he didn't like that attitude in me of begging. And so I had to learn how to be persistent but not come across as like whiny. Yeah. How many like your kids to whine? <laughs> you know? Man, I hate it. <laughs> Don't whine. You will not get it if you whine. <laughs> it's fun. But if you learn how to ask, you can get just about anything from me. Really. She, she learned. Well, basically, all my kids have learned. <laughs> all right. Jesus doesn't explain why we have to be persistent, but he gives us a reason to have confidence, and that is the goodness of our Heavenly Father, so we can have that confidence. All right. Um, uh, now, <clears throat> it's important. Uh, I haven't looked at the version of the Sermon on the Mount in Luke even though it parallels the one in Matthew, this whole series, because if I had, the series would be twice as long. But this verse is really important because he adds uh, very imp uh, significant information. In Luke's version, it says, If you uh, sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And so having this extra information fills in what Jesus... I mean, what Jesus said in, in Matthew is true. It applies in general. But here is a little more specifically, and I think it ties in to our understanding of, in the context as well, in that Jesus is saying, the person of God actually will come and dwell within you. Uh, his... Through the Holy Spirit. And so this becomes the source of our godliness. Right? The kingdom right, especially when you think of if this is asking and seeking and knocking for the kingdom righteousness, for the righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees and, and, and the scribes, for the righteousness that Jesus has been describing, not just to answer some prayer, but for the big picture of, of this, the, how can we live this life as disciples as Jesus describes. Jesus said, just ask and I'll give you the Spirit. The Father will give His own person, the Spirit will come. And when the Holy Spirit's in you, that's the source of godliness. So it's not something we do out of our own power. It comes out of the indwelling uh, power and person of, of God in us. Alright, the last verse is really important. Um, <clears throat> verse 12. 
Uh, therefore, whatever you want men to do uh, to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Uh, this is known as the golden rule, and it's probably called that because one of the Roman emperors had it written in gold on the wall of his office. I don't know, some wall in his <laughs> place. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, the commentator writes of this, he says, the specific ethical teaching, and much of the Sermon on the Mount has been on ethics, how to live, how to live in community, how to live as uh, disciples, um, of the Sermon on the Mount uh, comes to its climax in this verse. This is what the whole of the sermon kind of pointed to. This is the crescendo of the teaching. <clears throat> uh, the so in this verse uh, uh, links not with the immediately preceding verses, but with the whole teaching of the sermon so far, as it relates to our attitude toward other men. And the rule, the golden rule, which follows, presents in a nutshell the greater righteousness, the distinctive behavior, and attitude expected of his disciples. So again, we're seeing the one theme that's continued throughout the Sermon on the Mount since the beginning. Now, the negative version of this statement, we're all familiar with the golden rule. Everybody learns it, you know, even as a kid. Even if you don't go to Sunday school, most people know it. Um, it was the negative version, do not do to others what you don't want done to you, was a very common teaching in Jesus' day. Don't do to others what you don't want done to you. In fact, everybody in the audience probably in, in, that were listening to Jesus probably had heard at least one, if not a hundred times, that lesson taught on Sabbath in the synagogue. Because it was a common teaching. Don't do that. And it's common in, in most religions today. One of the greatest rabbis uh, uh, in that era, his name is Hillel, wrote of that statement, don't do to others what you don't want done to you. He said, this is the whole law, all else is commentary. This is very familiar to what Jesus said, isn't it? Once again, Jesus took something that was very familiar and he turns it just a little bit and in changing it, makes it radically different. Okay? Jesus exponentially increases the expectations on his disciples by turning that common teaching over uh, from a negative perspective to a positive perspective. The Life Application Bible says uh, concerning this verse, by stating it positively, Jesus made it more significant. It's not very hard to refrain from harming others. It is much more difficult to take the initiative in doing something good for them. The golden rule, as Jesus formulated it, is the foundation of active goodness and mercy, the kind of love that God shows to us every day. Aren't you glad that God doesn't live in the negative way? That God just doesn't do anything to you that He doesn't want done to Him? Yeah. You know? God doesn't live that way. God does... The sunshine's not for him, but for us. Right. You know? And the green grass and the fall colors, that's all for us. All the good things that God gives. He calls the sunshine and the good and evil, the rain to fall and the good and evil. He gives all these blessings all over earth just because he doesn't do just what, you know, he doesn't refrain from doing evil just because he doesn't want people to do evil to him. And he pours out goodness. And so Jesus is saying we need to live like God. That's how God does it. Think of the difference. One of the most respected teachers of the Old Covenant summed up the law and don't harm others. But Jesus turns that and says the whole law and the prophets uh, are a, um, 
And, and when Jesus said that, he's saying it's a summary of the will of God. He's, he's like saying the whole of the Bible in his day, as they, it would, they would call it the Law and the Prophets, is do unto others what you want them to do to you. And so he turns it and it makes it active. Now Jesus is not changing what the law taught. He's revealing what it always taught, but was not fully understood even by the rabbis. That's good. Alright? Through Jesus, we, you and I, can know and fulfill God's Word and will better than the best of the Pharisees and the scribes. This is goes back to the, great, you must have greater righteousness than the Pharisees and the scribes. How are you going to do that? One way is that you understand better the Word of God than, than all those rabbis. Some of whom memorized the whole of the Old Testament. You know why? Because you have Jesus telling you what it really meant. We have His, the author of it, revealing what it really meant. <clears throat> and so we can live it beyond what even the best of the scholars. Our righteousness can exceed this righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees simply by fulfilling this and actively uh, seeking to do good to others uh, what, uh, what we would want them to do to us. Uh, and that's why this, is the te- this, part of the ver- this verse is the climax of the teaching on ethics. Because he redefines uh, the meaning of it and redefines it from simply limiting bad behavior or harmful behavior to pursuing and implementing blessing. Uh, <clears throat> Alright, so we represent God by blessing others with the extravagant blessing that He's received from our Heavenly Father. And I like this last point, is that He even turns the definition of personal righteousness from just being about you being righteous, the climax of the verse, it's you doing good to others, is what righteousness is all about. Because that's what, that's what Jesus is all about. That's what the Father's all about. It's reproducing His character. Tori has some announcements. God bless you. Great. All right, I do have a couple announcements.